With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Towns makes a good play, though, finds Wiggins who strokes home a three-pointer. Here's Wiggins into the paint, showing off an array of offensive skills, perimeter three earlier, and then a great drive and score. Wiggins facing up on Gerald Green, drives at him. That's a tough move, some toughness there from Andrew Wiggins. Brett Robson is with us uh, from The Athletic. He covers the Timberwolves along with Johnny Krasinski for The Athletics. Uh, Brett, uh, making shots is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. And uh, also making them from behind the arc is even more wonderful. <laughs> yes, and uh, uh, now we think that they went at him with a, a lot of people want to think that they went at him with a whole new game plan. I think they just moved the ball better than they had previously and made the shots. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. And then the other thing is that uh, Towns was patient in terms of, uh, you know, not losing his head, which is very important. And they spread the floor a little bit more. Um, and I think that one of the big differences was they were purposeful in, in getting threes. How often during the course yes. of the season did you see a Timberwolves three that was basically by default but there really wasn't anything else to do or where to go? I thought this time uh, the other night um, they really were, you know, they were stepping into threes. They were doing quick transition baskets where they get down the court, particularly Wiggins and and Teague. Um, So all that, I think, played a role. And then also, I mean, let's face it, uh, Houston had beaten this team, you know, either handily or occasionally slightly less handily uh, six times in a row. And I'm not sure that uh, Houston was – operating on all cylinders. I think tonight is going to be a lot sterner test. You know, uh, Brent, what's interesting, if you read about Thibodeau's history, he is sort of credited by many for pushing the idea of the corner three, fitting it into the offense. And, boy, we have not seen that uh, this year. And so many teams use that now to great uh, success. And it was uh, there was a couple, a few of them this time, and there's been a few during the season. But uh, uh, this offense uh, certainly uh, will uh, look a lot better next year if they get themselves one really good shooter yeah uh, i agree and also i think if you know and and you know nobody ever wants to hear anybody saying this because everybody is really sick of saying it to begin with but if wiggins takes that step you know i mean if it right now the last three games uh i think you can make a decent case that wiggins has been the best guy on the team and uh for that to be said and to know that uh, every now and then this guy gets motivated and shows you a little bit about what he can do, not only, as you say, hitting shots, but also just being engaged and, and using that uh, 
athletic ceiling that he has in a little bit more productive way. And I've always, I've felt all year he was just willing to be subservient to Butler. Okay, Butler's the man. Butler can do anything he wants. Butler's doing what I did last year. I think he's thought, I think they've started to work on the way that maybe those two guys can play together. Yeah, that's part of it. Also, let's let's not forget that, I mean, Towns is just such a phenomenally accurate shooter that uh, all the hue and cry throughout the course of the season was, you know, hey, how come we're not getting Towns any touches? Well, now you've got a defense that's basically going all out to make sure Towns doesn't get a lot of at least good touches. And so that's more space for Wiggins. Uh, Butler's a little bit dinged up. I mean, he, he really took the reins the other night. But uh, for this team to even have a remote chance of beating Houston the way Houston is playing defense right now, it's up to Wiggins, and he will be one of the guys. Hey, uh, Derrick Rose, uh, uh, Thibodeau brings him in. He stinks it out a couple of games, and he sprains an ankle, and nobody can figure out why. I thought uh, kind of all along he brought him in because he was the guy he could get. Bellinelli didn't want to come here. A couple of those other guys that might have fit better didn't come here. Nobody signed Tony Allen. So uh, he, he was looking for, I, I don't know, he obviously loves Derrick Rose. Rose has done what he can do. He certainly isn't a perfect fit, but he's done what he can do. And I think Rose, I think Thibodeau is looking for another body. Well, I got to tell you, as somebody who royally ripped the acquisition when it happened, I think Rose has been far more valuable than certainly I anticipated. And I would think most people anticipated. Uh, of course, that was a very low bar. I didn't think yeah. he'd be valuable at all. But, uh, you know, he really gave him a spark the other night, and it happened in a couple of the regular season games, too. The thing that has impressed me about Rose is that uh, he's willing to work on defense. He seems to yes. uh, regard himself as somebody who's not going to get, uh, you know, white, wiped out by a pick or a screen. He's going to fight through stuff. And uh, I think he kind of knows this is his last stop. Uh, everybody else has pretty much given up on the guy, and you have his old coach, his old MVP coach. And uh, if there's a problem I have with Derrick Rose is that every now and then he hits a couple of shots and he still thinks he's the MVP. He has <laughs> yeah, to hand right. his lunch to kind of remind him that's not true. And uh, the thing about him is he, always, he had a reputation as one reason people didn't want him to come in here is they're not a good defensive team, and he had a lousy reputation on defense. But... He's now pretty much has to play defense if he wants to play because uh, the the rest of it is not is not what it used to be. And I, I think that's don't you think playing defense that's the case with a lot of guys. It's whether they're willing to put in a little bit of effort for you. That's a lot of it. I mean, especially for a veteran who know you know somebody who knows how offenses and defenses work like Rose does, particularly under Tibbs's system. Uh, if you, you know, I mean, if you look at the guys who were with Tibbs in Chicago, they all come in knowing how to play defense. Uh, and so that's, you know, to the extent that Tibbs was right to go out and get all his old Chicago buddies, uh, that's where it helps is you do elevate the floor on what is a bad defense to at least, you know, uh, mediocre maybe. Uh, and when you have Butler and, uh, and, and Taj in the game at the same time, you know, you can usually sew up that side of the floor. So, you know, it, it certainly doesn't hurt to have him. And, and let's face it, uh, this team for a long time, when they would go to their bench, uh, damage would ensue. And, and sometimes that's still going to happen with Rose. But uh, 
now, at least, uh, at least on the evidence of a few games, uh, there's always the chance that you might get something out of it. Brett Robson's with us. Brett, uh, there's, uh, you know, the, the highly likelihood that this thing ends uh, rather promptly here because Houston is uh, better than they are. So, uh, can uh, Thibodeau and uh, t- Glenn Taylor sit down and uh, and uh, make, uh, I wouldn't say peace, but make nice here and figure out where they're headed and maybe get Thibs to uh, take a little dip for a look at some of the stuff he does, or is that impossible after all these years? I don't think Tibbs is going to change. <laughs> I don't think at the end of the day, uh, Glenn is going to fire him. Um, you know, I heard the. You know, I heard what he said, Mankato, and 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 on the radio recently. Uh, I would say that um, you're paying a guy three more years at eight million dollars a year. Yep. He just won you sixteen more games than uh, last season. Uh, and uh, you, two of your top uh, seven rotation players live and die with him and would flee out of here as, as soon as possible. So if you are thinking about replacing Tom Thibodeau at either one of those positions, because I don't think uh, if he tried to split the jobs up, Tib would stay either. But if you are thinking about doing that, you better have a really good replacement who's going to, at the very least, make things better next season because uh, that's a huge gamble. And the other thing I would say is people that he's, you know, obviously not terribly popular with the fans, but maybe that's more uh, social media than uh, people buying tickets because they've had their highest number of sellouts since they were a neophyte franchise. So the people have showed up this year. Yeah, I mean, he presses a lot of buttons, whether, you know, I mean, he's he's not Minnesotan in terms of being uh, passive-aggressive. He's aggressive-aggressive. <laughs> and in terms of, uh, you know, analytics, you know, he, he'll pay lip service to it to some extent, and every now and then, especially if it lines up with what he really thinks, he'll cite it. But, uh, you know, he's not somebody, he's not an egghead when it comes to the NBA. He's a film guy. He's an old-school guy. Uh, he certainly has his weaknesses, and I'm sure swearing a blue streak in front of uh, the owner and his wife 41 times a season is not in his favor. But, um, you know, I mean, the results are the way they are, and uh, he does have two guys who are loyalists to him who happen to be pretty important members of this team, so... You know, you're in for a penny, you're in for $24 million worth of uh, more dollars. And so, as I say, yeah, there's a lot of negatives about uh, Tom Thibodeau, and and I think he makes them evident himself. In some ways, he's his own worst enemy. But uh, the record speaks for itself, and unless you can improve upon that record, you risk really looking bad. Uh, One thing I will say, last thing I'll say about this is, as much as Tibbs may not be popular among some fans and, and some other people, he's very popular among coaches. So if you fire him, uh, you're going to have trouble hiring somebody who's a really good coach or certainly a, a veteran coach because I think he's universally respected among his brethren. All right, Brett, see you in a couple hours, sir. Thank you. All righty. Uh, Britt Robson uh, covers the Timberwolves for the Athletic and has been covering them for over 20 years for various outlets. We'll be back. Scott Burnside, national uh, columnist for The Athletic on the NHL. Before we get into the firing of Chuck Fletcher, uh, Scott, that goal by Arvidsson last night is one of the great goals I've ever seen in the NHL uh, in the 5-0 Nashville win over Colorado. (laughs) 
I like it that he only used about a third of his stick to get it done, too, right? Like, that's wow. the... I had, somebody texted me afterwards and said, hey, how come he's using the mini stick out there? But no, you know, it was... Um, it was. It was and it was a terrific goal. It was a nice uh, sort of lob pass. I wish I could get my pitching wedge to go like... Subban, yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> he just... Popped it up there. He grabbed it for an eighth of a second, dropped it down, and then went zooming. And he was doing all this damn near full speed. It was an amazing goal if you haven't seen it. Yeah, no, it's definitely worth a look. And certainly, you know, a a series that, uh, you know, as as Central Division fans, I I think a lot of us expected Nashville to have a lot easier time with Colorado uh, than they did. Of course, the series went six games. And good on Joe Sackick and Jared Bednar, the Avs coach, and and the rest of that team, and uh, you know, after their horrific season of last year, to to really give the Predators all they could handle, and the Predators, for my money, still the best team in the National Hockey League. I mean, no surprise after a 117 point season and an epic matchup coming up with Winnipeg in the second round. But the Avs are full value for taking it to six games, and and I think you know the future. You never know what the future is going to hold in hockey, but it certainly looks bright, and as long as they stay on the right track. Um, I think the the Avs have uh, have lots to be optimistic about. All right, was the vibe in the uh, around the NHL as you travel around uh, that uh, Fletcher would be in trouble here if this team didn't uh, progress through the first round? Yeah, you know what, I, I, I was only, I'm mildly surprised, perhaps, and, and only because when you make the playoffs for six straight years, that's that is something. It, it's it's not nothing. Now, when you don't have playoff success, you know, it becomes a uh, a double-edged sword, I suppose. The expectations, as they should, for teams who go to the playoffs on a regular basis, and certainly six straight years is is a, is an feat. You have to show that you are ready to step forward, and that you can take another step. And whether it's winning a round or going to a conference final, and of course the Wild haven't been able to do that. And I guess what surprised me only a little bit is that this was a team that right from the beginning of the season right through to the very, very end, uh, was just battered by injury. And that's not something anyone can control. Now, all teams go through it, but I thought there might have been enough mitigating circumstances with the injuries to Ryan Suter and Zach Parise and uh, other players who were certainly playing less than 100% against a, you know, a, that Winnipeg team is, is they're a juggernaut. They're, I put them, you know, and the standings reflect it, right? I mean, they finished just a couple points behind Nashville, second best point total in the NHL in the regular season, and they didn't do it by fluke. They're a really excellent team, well coached, deep, physical, all those kinds of things, and they got healthy. So I was a bit surprised that, did, you know, that this happened to Chuck Fletcher given those circumstances. But I think, you know, big picture, this is, I think it reflects a change in the NHL now where, where the focus maybe shifts slightly away from coaches, right? The coach is easy, yeah. an easy mark when you don't have success and you say, well, let's, you know, let's, let's get a new coach. Uh, you know, Elaine Vigneault has gone in New York for the Rangers. Uh, Bill Peters has just gone in to replace Glenn Gullitson in Calgary. But there's, I think, renewed focus on GMs for, okay, what kind of team are you giving our coach to to put on the ice and with the emphasis on speed and skill um if you aren't getting it done i think there is a new focus i think that's why in edmonton there's as much uh attention being paid to gm peter shirelli after a disastrous year in edmonton as head coach todd mcclellan and i think those are questions being asked of all the teams that don't make the playoffs or are early exits from the playoffs have we built a team that's prepared to play the right way in the nhl and i think maybe chuck is a victim of that 
uh, you know, because they they haven't been. They haven't been a team that's been able to take advantage of going to the playoffs and then, and and building on it for a variety of reasons. Uh, it would be interesting if Edmonton blew out their GM if uh, Fletcher would become a candidate to be up there. He, uh, I still would imagine he has a fairly good reputation in the NHL. Well, there's no question, and I think, I mean, you have to look at you, you, you not no GM bats a thousand, right? It's just, it, and especially when you when you're a GM that that that's, that swings for the fences. And, you know, when I go back to a year ago. Um, you know, when they acquired Marty Hansel at the trade deadline, I, I think a lot of people looked at that as, well, sure. I mean, this is a very good Minnesota team. Um, the West certainly more wide open. Uh, I think the same was, we could have said that for part of this year as well until Nashville and Winnipeg sort of separated themselves from the pack. But that was a good add on paper for yes. the Minnesota Wild. There was a lot to give up, but he was an important piece to a puzzle that looked like it could take them into the second round and beyond. And, of course, it, it didn't work out. They played five games. Marty Hansa wasn't a terrific fit. And it's not about him or the team. It's just sometimes it doesn't work. And when you make the mistakes, that's what uh, those are the things that haunt you. But it's, it's funny, you know, the criticism of Kevin Sheveldayoff for years and years in Winnipeg was that he didn't make those kinds of moves. Uh, you think of David Poyle in Nashville, who has consistently, has he's, he goes all out all the time. And, and, you know, it's a team that just until last year had never been out of the second round. But you couldn't fault David Poyle for not at least trying to, you know, to make the moves and to, to make the ads that he thought were, was going, you know, would, would give him the final piece of the puzzle. And, um, you know, so it, sometimes when, sometimes you make those mistakes and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you end up paying the price for them. And I think, uh, to your question, I, yeah, I think Chuck Fletcher done a nice job. When he arrived in Minnesota, there was nothing very much in that pipeline. The shelf was pretty bare. I think he's done a nice job of bringing in players. It's, but it's disappointing when your young players don't take the step forward that you think they're going to. And I think that's been the case in Minnesota as well. I think the Hansel thing that you bring up is a disaster that's hung over him uh, even into this season. So uh, Charlie Coyle had a pretty ordinary year here. That whole young nucleus that they've been that's not so young anymore. Granlin and Niederreiter and Zucker or Zucker who had a Zucker had a great Great year, but uh, didn't show up in the playoffs. Uh, some of those guys—I don't know who will get moved, but I would think uh, 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 one or two of those guys will get moved. I'm just—I I would worry if Coyle would have a big market after a year like this. Well, and then the danger <clears throat> when you have players that um, you know have been disappointing, and had, and you're right. I mean, we're we're beyond you know, sort of calling them young men or, or young prospects anymore. They're players who, you know, who need to be making an impact on the team. And I think what, you know, the cautionary tale is, is, is one that we, when you look at the Vegas Golden Knights this year and you think of the players who were, you know, in that mid-20s range and players, you know, I mean, the, Eric Hall is a good example, yeah, right? right? I mean, the, the, the Wild, he's 27, so he's not a kid anymore. No. Um, and, and, and Chuck had to look organizationally and gave up a, a good player and Tooch and, uh, you know, Eric Holler goes there and scores 29 goals during the regular season. And so that, you know, those are the things you can't necessarily tell. So if you decide, you know what, we're going to, we're going to make some changes here and we're going to try and package Charlie Coyle and, you know, just to shake things up or to do whatever you think you need to do to, to plug some holes, to find some more offense up front, to get better down the middle. Um, the, you know, the, the potential for him to go somewhere else and start to be the 25 to 30 goal guy that you imagine he was going to be is always there. And I think that's, 
you know, how you balance your patience for saying, well, okay, how, you know, how do we make this team better and do we have the parts internally to make them better and we, and we need to, you know, to, to try again or to say, we're, no, we don't believe that this group can do what we need them to do and then, then you have to decide which pieces you peel off. But it, it is, you know, it's it the, the the gamble is is there for not just Minnesota, but for all these teams that are thinking about making changes to try and find the right, uh, you know, the right pieces for their own puzzle. But um, you're right; it's been disappointing. It's disappointing when you have players who play well during the regular season but can't get it done. Uh, Jason Zucker is another, you know, is a, I think you know terrific player and obviously had a, a breakthrough regular season, um, but. You know, sometimes it, it takes a playoff year or two to, for them to come around. So, uh, you know, whoever comes in for Chuck Fletcher will have his hands full because um, there obviously is a good nucleus there. You don't make the playoffs six years in a row without it. But what kind of changes do you make that you think are going to be the ones that will, you know, magically uh, propel you to where you want to go deeper into the playoffs? Uh, finally, uh, Winnipeg, Nashville. Are you going to follow them around, or uh, you're on I, that series, or not? I I am indeed. It should be an <laughs> epic match. I mean, I think anyone who watched the, the the NHL this year always paused when Nashville and Winnipeg played during the regular season. They played playoff style hockey every time they met, and uh, I hope we don't I hope we don't blow it out of the water before it happens, and, and it's a, it's a letdown. But I I think it might well be the best playoff series that w- any of us will see this spring. Okay, I agree with you. Hey, Scott, uh, thanks for your time, sir, and uh, that that'll be fun. Uh, and there are a little. We have a eyewitness report on this show of the uh, craziness in Winnipeg, and be prepared to uh, to uh, fight your way through crowded streets to get to the arena. I'm looking forward to it. All right, thanks, Scott Burnside. He uh, covers the NHL, uh, trying to give us a little perspective on the firing today of uh, Chuck Fletcher. And one thing that isn't mentioned: the coach. Is only in his second season, and you're on the hook for a lot of money with him. And Fletcher's contract was up, so a Boudreaux's more popular. B fire the general manager, give his scalp to the fans. You can't give the coach's scalp to him. How many years did Bruce get on his contract? Uh, at least four. I thought it was four. four. Yeah, yeah. Four. and okay. it's uh, it's a bunch of money. It'd be mm-hmm. like it wouldn't be as expensive as firing Tibbs, but it would right. be uh, it would be expensive. Be so yeah. uh, it'd be like getting rid know, of Kenny. Yeah, I mean, Boudreaux's 2-8 and eight in the playoffs here, okay? So yeah. Let's not have any parades. So, Including losing to the guy he replaced yes, last year. Yeah. All right, we'll be back. Here is Johnny Height with a sports update. Thank you, Patrick. Sunny and 70 degrees. This update sponsored by Account Temps. Do you need accounting and finance professionals for long-term or recurring projects? If so, Account Temps salary professional service may be the right solution. Visit AccountTemps.com. Account Temps, a Robert Half company. The Wild announcing today Chuck Fletcher will not be brought back as GM and executive vice president. The team will start looking immediately for a replacement. Owner Craig Leopold. Is it going to be a national search, John? Or in this one, yeah. it's got to be a hemispheric search, right? Hemispheric, I like yes. that. Is there going to be a search committee? <laughs> uh, owner Craig Leopold uh, said the team needs now what he called tweaks. Tweaks! Okay. We're not good enough right now. Um, I think what I want to have is a new set of eyes and, and take a look at where our strengths and where our weaknesses are. And somebody will come in who doesn't feel an ownership to certain players and 
I want someone to, to take a look and what we can do to tweak our team. Wow. Did anyone notice how much Leopold sounds like Boudreaux? I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> yep. He yes. does sound like yes, Boudreaux. He does. Okay. I have a suggestion. Lindsay Whalen, she could do that. <laughs> yes. Bring her in. Three jobs. Uh, Amanda Castle. Uh, wait, let's get a hockey player. Yeah. Amanda Castle. Okay. She'd be good. Now, Maybe she could get that bratty, dumb brother of hers in here, too. <laughs> uh, Leopold did say his part Talented dummy. <laughs> you know, he's got the weird receding hairline, too, when he takes his helmet off and he's got the uh, giant playoff. You are not at the age I to be talking. Yeah, and I'm certainly not one. To Where is he at, Toronto? It. No, he's, he's a boss. Uh, Pittsburgh. Boston. Pittsburgh. 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 Yeah. Okay, that's it. As part Quit of looking the, uh, at my head, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Johnny. As part of the uh, tweak situation, said he is not looking for a rebuild, and he will make sure all candidates for the job know that. He's hiring the number two guy at Nashville. What the hell are we waiting for? He <laughs> knows the guy from the past. He'll be in here in a week. Wolves Rockets again tonight from the Target Center. Wolves won Saturday. Rockets have a 2-1 to one lead in the best of a seven series. I got the key to the victory. Make shots. <laughs> More importantly, make threes. Listen to that basketball mind at work uh-huh. there. Huh? Uh, twins move on to New York after getting swept by the Rays. Jake Odorizzi for the Twins tonight. Masahiro Tanaka. I'm done with him. What a bunch of jackets. Already? Yeah, the hell with him. <laughs> April 23rd. Huh? stunk it out this weekend. I'm Done with them. I love when the Twins have a three-game losing streak in <laughs> April, know. and you're already fired up about it. Hey, in Fort Myers, <laughs> here's uh, here's your lineup to face Tanaka tonight: Dozier, Maurer, Sano, Rosario, Morrison, Escobar, Kepler, Ryan Lamar in center field, and Castro catching. Oh, so Lamar is playing instead of Robbie Grossman. That's that's, correct. that's okay with me. <laughs> <laughs> I can settle for that. Uh, one other baseball note, Bob Nightingale reporting that Danny Farquhar is alert and responding to questions from doctors and is able to speak with family members. He might save his life, huh? He was brain surgery last night to save his life. Uh, Saturday, actually. He did it Saturday, Saturday to uh, reduce swelling on the brain after his ruptured aneurysm was successful. He'll be hospitalized for the next three weeks. He suffered a brain hemorrhage in the dugout on Friday. All right, Johnny, thank you. You bet. We now present Manny Hill's Four Deep Thoughts on the Ride with Royce. A wild weekend. What do you got, Manny? All right, here is uh, thought number one. Five on the clock. Brogdon, they got to work quick. Brogdon with the left. Tipped up and in. Giannis with five seconds to go. So the Bucks they uh, even their series up with the Boston Celtics they yesterday. Made hard work of it. Yes, they did. Had a big lead and almost blew it. But Giannis gets the tip in uh, with about five seconds left, and they uh, make a defensive stand to clinch the win. 104-102 over the Celtics. They even the series. Well, Giannis <laughs> wanted to go to a uh, Mexican restaurant yeah. afterwards. Uh, what, Taco Bell, right? Uh, no. no, it was called, uh, what was the name of the... Oh, Bel Air Bel Air Cantina okay. was the name of the restaurant, and apparently they, nobody would see him. <laughs> so he's first of all he's they don't they're anti Greek or what? I, I I don't I don't understand what what the situation was, but people he's six right. eleven. <laughs> he just won the biggest game of the season for the Bucks up to this point. He's like the biggest 
star athlete in Wisconsin not named Rogers. And Mexican restaurants never close early, so it isn't some lazy waiter who doesn't want to have another table sit down, right? Right, and so apparently he was sitting there, and or he was standing there, and nobody came to see him or anything, <laughs> and, so he, and so he left. I would say the Bel Air Mexican restaurant is now for sale, or we'll have a, uh, have they're a doing it, it sounds like they're doing a they're doing a giveaway free tacos for uh, Bucks fans on Friday. <laughs> okay, so, might be too late. Yeah. Number two. Ginobili fakes. Lost it. Gets it back. Flips it up and flips it in. Exclamation point from Manu Ginobili. All right, so the Spurs are not going to win this series. Mm-mm. Obviously, everybody knows that. But did you guys know that with that win yesterday, for Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker, that was their 132nd playoff win together as teammates and that is an nba record for teammates they've won 132 132 between them uh, and by the way as teammates tony parker still got some juice by the way i saw him yeah he he has he has a little burst once in a while (laughs) but uh he can't he can't really do it for an entire game anymore. You said like 122? 132. 132. 132 wins together as teammates. Baylor and West, who? Uh, I, think, I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so after tonight, Cat and Wiggy will only need 130 to go to tie. Right, right? yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> All right, number three. Long rebound, Rubio has it. Rubio for three at the horn. <laughs> Got it! Woo! <laughs> Man. So, uh, Ricky Rubio, this is for all the people that love him. How was Twitter on This uh... is two hours after the Timberwolves have very impressively won their first playoff game in 14 years. Ricky Rubio puts up a (laughs) triple-double for the Utah Jazz. 26 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists, including that long jumper you just heard right before the half. How many Uh, points? 26 points. (laughs) (laughs) Two of nine shooting from from the three-point line, so that's... The Ricky That's that Ricky we know, we know yeah. but uh, seven of nine shooting. Otherwise, uh, he's he's gotten better, and and you know I think we all thought, myself included, that this little great shooting spurt that he was having the last couple months of the season wasn't going to last. But he's he's continued to play well. You got to got to tip your hat. And to him. as a wise man said on Twitter, <laughs> perfect evening for Timberwolves right. fans. They win their first playoff game in 14 years, and that's fun. And then Ricky has a triple-double, and he can still be mad at and Tibbs. And he yeah. Russell Westbrook, yeah. He would still be mad isn't at it, Tibbs. Isn't it just okay for, and I, I get it, we're all Minnesota fans, so we've got to be angry about something, but isn't it just a fair assessment to say that this was a good situation for yes. both these players and both Absolutely. these teams? Absolutely. played his yes. ass off yeah. uh, Saturday night, but it made no difference because no. Ricky had a triple-double. And you never traded Ricky. And by the way, does anybody remember they did get a first-round draft choice in the Ricky? Yes. Well, that's what I mean, yeah. 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 And it worked that, out really good for both players. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand. I mean, it was never really going to work out fully for Ricky Rubio here. No. And he get they set him to a great situation and just be happy that he's he a, what doing religion well. has he converted to though with the beard and everything? Is he, he does he join, look the beard and, he, the, and the long did tattoo. He join on his some cult out there. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean the Mormon thing. I think they they don't you know maybe he's a, maybe they he's love him out there hardcore. though. Is he a maybe he's a he's maybe he's a candidate yep. to be the next leader of the uh, Church of the Latter Day Saints. Could I be. don't know. Yeah, we haven't had a Spanish one. I don't think. <laughs> 
All right, thought number four. The Raptors aren't going to foul, and the Wizards are going to win it. Oubre to steal. He pounds the basketball hard, gives it to John Wall. John Wall turns the crowd. He gets them fired up, hands the ball to the referee. The horn sounds. That's it. The Wizards win game four of this NBA Eastern Conference quarterfinal series, 106-98, and it's all tied at two games apiece. That was Boy. hard to get that out without a breath. <laughs> yeah, um, so the Raptors were my pick to win the Eastern Conference mm-hmm. uh, going into the playoffs, and now I'm having some doubts about them. They kind of reverted All back right. to what they've been the last couple of years when they get to the playoffs, and I don't know. That's and a of one-eight course, we have right the uh, tragedy up in Toronto today with the terrorism. Are they going to go ahead and play the hockey game? I haven't know, seen anything that... the basketball team is due to play there, uh, too. Game 5 is up there yeah, tomorrow or the next day, so I, I'm not sure what they're going to do about it. But, uh, yeah, I was all in on the Raptors. You don't yeah. want to have this Weasley-Washington team give you this much of a A push. Wizards team that's underachieved all year. Yeah, yeah you don't want to mess around with mm-hmm. them. So. Yeah, that would be a disaster if uh, Toronto were to lose uh, for Dwayne. Casey. All right, uh, we shall be back with This Day in History. It is a fine one. Please, we'll be on the air. And now, This Day in History. Patrick? By best estimate, it was This Day in History, April 23rd, 1564, when William Shakespeare Shakespeare was born on Stratford on the Avon and by coincidence at age 52 he died on April 23rd 1616 so he he was born they think because the the birth certificate is found on April for April 26th 1564 and it usually took three days back then to uh, mm-hmm. post a birth certificate. So he died 52 years later. Uh, at age 18, he's a. they think that he went to uh, school in Stratford. And at 18, he knocked up a woman named Anne Hathaway. Uh, not any relation to the one we know now. She was eight years older than him. Oh. So he was a horny young guy. Uh, and uh, I don't think it's part of the Shakespeare Shakespeare and love story, which, of course, was the Academy Award bought and purchased by the weasel Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, she was eight eight years older. Uh, he uh, They had a baby. Then they had twins after that. And uh, he was, it's kind of vague as to what was going on. He didn't start getting famous for his plays until the 1590s uh, when some guy named Robert Greene on his deathbed wrote a vicious attack on Shakespeare's play, uh, work, mm-hmm. his works. And his works hadn't really amounted to much uh, until then. It was uh, 1599 when he started writing this series of, uh, or it was during the 1590s he wrote his series of historical plays. And uh, in 1599, he wrote my favorite, Henry V. Uh, And then this was followed later by his uh, Hamlet and Othello and King Lear and all those kind of downer one plays. But uh, Henry V. Uh, Henry, uh, Kenneth, the great Kenneth Branagh, nobody's a better Shakespearean uh, adapter to film than Kenneth Branagh, uh, fantastic actor and a fantastic uh, actor in 
the adaptions he does. Well, on Henry v, Henry the Fifth, he recites the greatest uh, speech ever written for a play in the history of mankind as. Uh, King uh, Henry V and his uh, band of outmanaged men start, get ready for battle. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. Brother, proclaim it, Westmoreland, through my host, that he which hath no stomach to this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made, and crowns for convoy put into his purse. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. This day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand at tiptoe when this day is named and arouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall see this day and live old age will yearly, on the vigil, feast his neighbors and say, tomorrow, is Saint Crispin's. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say these wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget. Yet all shall be forgot, but he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names, familiar in their mouths as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son. And Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered. We few. We happy few. We band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England, now abed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap, whilst any speaks that thought with us upon St. Crispin's Day! PJ, play that speech before you play Wisconsin, baby. Nah, you can beat those SOBs. Instead of your BS, give a little Shakespeare, St. Christmas Day. Maybe you can beat the Badgers. And, uh, you know, and they don't listen to your crap. Let them listen to Shakespeare. Maybe you'll score a touchdown against that, the Badgers. The, the privilege of dying with King Harry. How good a speech was that? That is, uh, come on, you can beat the Badgers with this speech.